mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 82. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Urquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And we are so excited to be joined by a guest today. It's been a really long time since we've had a guest on the podcast. We are um, glad to introduce Dr. Michelle Newell, and she is a teacher in California. And we have um, connected with her on Twitter some recently, and we invited her to just talk with us today about what's going on in her class and her school. And um, we are so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I love this show. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Well, um, I guess I'll go ahead and just jump right in with our first question. Um, We'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and you can tell us about what math was like for you as a student. And then uh, we know you've had a a, a different career before teaching, so we'd love to hear about that and then a little bit about what your current role is, too. Awesome. Thank you. So I guess I can go back to elementary school where I absolutely loved math must have been primary school. I had a great teacher. I, she loved math. Now that I'm an adult, I can look back and say that. And then probably upper elementary, middle school, I hated math. <laughs> and as I reflect, I don't think my teachers really liked math much either during that time. And then in high school, I had this amazing Algebra II uh, trigonometry teacher, Mr. Porter, in the inner city at a high school that didn't perform well, well, where people did not expect for students to perform well, and he loved math, and he challenged us. And so again, I fell in love with math. I am now currently teaching in California. Hmm. I teach fourth grade. I taught third grade last year. I am at a new charter school in Vallejo, um, California, and I absolutely love it. I don't know what took me so long, actually, but um, before, coming to teaching, I was in the Air Force for close to about 20 years between my active duty service and my service as a civilian. And I worked in clinical lab science as a microbiologist the last uh, 10 years or so. And before that, I was a clinical um, uh, medical laboratory technician. So I worked in all sections. Um, I did a large part of our didactic training for clinical lab science. So a lot of my teaching came from my time in the Air Force. And after I separated um, from active duty service, I taught in the local community um, at a post-secondary school. So I taught adults and now I teach little people. So it's kind (laughs) of weird, but in real life, teaching is teaching. And children are a lot like adults, and adults are a lot like children. So that right? is so true. Is this yeah. is this your second year? Te- I know you said it's your second year at this school. Is this your second year teaching kids altogether, or did you have did you work in other schools? Yes, in a K twelve setting. No, in a K twelve setting, this is my second year. I've run programs over the summer. You know, I've I've worked with children. I think since I was a kid, but. I've never taught in a K-12 setting. This school kind of pulled me out of my career into this career. Awesome. So So tell us a little bit about what it looks like. I'm sure it's very different from your first year, (laughs) like having a first year again with just 
your format being so different? What are you, are you virtual? We are 100% online. Um, we call this our um, online uh, learning plus module. And I'm going to be honest, I, I enjoy some aspects of teaching online. Um, before teaching at this school, and even now, I did some contracted work where I would tutor kids online. And so I'm really familiar with engaging students in this way. However, teaching a whole class online <laughs> is totally different. <laughs> we have recently changed our schedule. And we did that because our families and our staff, you know, everybody had concerns. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody asked for this. So we've been really flexible, but we pretty much have a full day. I consider it a full day. Um, we stopped teaching. We start at around 750 and we have two blocks of math. I love it. <laughs> and we have two blocks of English language arts. Our blocks run about 50 minutes. They get a 10 minute break in between. And then because our focus is math and languages right now, um, we do have two blocks of English language arts, a block of Spanish for our English or general ed classes. And then we have a block of coding twice a week. So oh, wow. we are generally done around 12 o'clock Monday through Wednesday for everyone. And then we have reading groups. We just finished our big reading um, our second cycle of reading testing. And so now we have these groups that rotate and that's our big focus. We haven't done that with math, but I think that's coming up um, after we come back in January. So cool. Yeah. So we're done probably around 12 with our everyday teaching. And then at the end of all of our small groups around one thirty, two o'clock. I love that you have, you know, time built in for small groups in addition to your regular instruction. That's really cool. How is that, excuse me, how does that compare to a, a school day before all this? Before all this, we still had about an hour and a half of math. I'm looking at a schedule yeah. over here. So that's why I'm looking off to the side. We had about an hour and a half of math, an hour and a half of English language arts. And the way our English language arts curriculum is set up, we it's more of a um, comprehensive program with science and history and English language arts, which is a little, you know, being a scientist, I don't really care for that because you're not really getting science right. science. You're really getting English language arts about science, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. And so, um, but the schedule was pretty robust, except of course, then we had PE, right? And they had recess and lunch. So we had a pretty long day. I say we got out of school around 3.30, started at 7.50, got out at 3.30. And then I always had kids in my class afterwards because math, there's a stigma with math in a lot of families. You know, people are afraid of it. This new math is hard. So I still had kids maybe for about an hour after school while I was cleaning up who I was helping with math. That sounds a lot like what Ruth does. <laughs> yeah. She does that yeah. pretty much every day. Um, we just had, I think I just had six boys stay because we are off for a week. And I was like, listen, we're going to get all this work made up before you go home. No options. So sometimes they stay because their families want them to have help. And sometimes they want help. And then there's those few times when it's just me, like, nope, it's not an option. You're going to stay. <laughs> and sometimes there's kids coming back from algebra, coming to see you, <laughs> looking for help. Yeah. too. <laughs> 
I'd love to know what are some things that are working right now when it comes to teaching math and what are some victories that you've had lately? Well, I think the big plus for me is that I absolutely love math and I finally found my um, my happy place with math and with teaching. And when I act excited, my students, they become excited and I love our curriculum. It's Bridges and I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not, no. Nope. But it is a pro... Oh no, you should check it out. It's a program that's really built around the use of models and activities and game games. So my students, they love it. We have these portions of the curriculum called uh, workplaces. And I did share some links with you. You should check it out. Okay. It really reinforces whatever your, your lessons are. It's amazing. And they're also connected with um, cool math apps that my students are able to use. So if we were in school, for example, right now we're working on three-digit addition or multiple-digit, I should say multi-digit addition. And so we're learning different strategies and they are learning how to use the base 10 pieces. And they don't have base 10 pieces, but they do have the base 10 pieces app. And so it really helps. And um, so I consider that to be something that makes teaching math online a whole lot easier. I actually just saw that app for, I just saw that app for cool math with the base 10. And I think my favorite feature was the ruler where they could measure and see, cause we use base 10 to do decimal multiplication. And I don't, that ruler really helped a lot of kids understand. So I'm anxious to see that they have more based on this curriculum. So I'm ex excited to see those links you sent. Yes. And there are apps on there for time, for money, everything. It is so amazing. And my kids love it because they really like to touch things. And even though they can't physically touch it and manipulate it, they can still move it around some in some way and they can see it. Um, the other thing that sure. I think is really great is our families and our community. It's really close knit. I'm at a choice school. So people choose to come here. They're not forced and they can leave whenever they want. And so we have an understanding, you know, we're pushing this stuff. We need our kids to be here at this time. I need your support. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that everyone can meet that expectation, but the expectation is there and you know it when you sign on, you know? And so I feel like that's a big hmm. plus for me when I speak to some teachers everywhere else where their kids are just there because they live in the neighborhood. They don't have that kind of support. So I think that's really a big one for us. That's good. What kind of challenges are you meeting right now? Well, the biggest one that I think all educators can agree on is that we have lost a lot of control, right? I mean, I can't tell you what's happening in some of the environments a lot of my students are in during their time on Zoom or even after. Um, some of it shocks me completely. Um, some of my families that I've worked with last year, I did loop with my kids. So there oh, are cool. only four children in my class. Well, I just gained a new one. There are five children in my class that I didn't know before this school year. And with that, I have history. I have experience with these kids. And I have students who 
they just behaved differently last year. And now because things are so out of control, people have lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. You know, the controllables have changed for us. And so that is the biggest challenge, not being able to say, okay, what are you doing over there? You're off task. This is what we're doing. You know, not having that kind of, um, I guess, I don't know, control, power, uh, reach. That is the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. Not being able to stand beside the kid and, and point to things and help them manipulate. It's really difficult. Yeah, that is so true. I, I, I recently was doing a so so as a coach, I don't spend that much time um, with students online. I spend a whole lot of time with teachers online in Zoom meetings. But I was recently we started I've started a small project that I talked about in the last episode, and um, just the like. I want that to help you click on this link and get to this particular s- spot. Like, and you're so right in the regular classroom, I'd walk up to you and I'd help you get there, but you can't reach through the screen and, you know, get them all where they need to be. If you're working on something together that, and, and that does go back to control. Um, I think it's so cool though, that you were able to loop with them because, you know, some of the, so some of the things I've heard from teachers are how hard it is to build relationships over Zoom. And that's awesome that you had that from a lot of kids already. You know, something else that I do think is an advantage is that when we found out we were closing our doors on March 12th, the first thing I did, I got online and started looking for resources because I already knew right then we're not coming back in the fall, which is not. So let's go ahead and get mm-hmm. prepared. Yeah. And I started looking for resources. And, and when I found them, I started using them over the summer. My admin, they're like, we've got to get in with some kids. Can you lead this group, that group? So I did some math um, strategy courses, if you will. And I was able to see during that time and setting up kind of like a fake Google Classroom with fake students. Mm -hmm. I was able to see, you know, what tools I could use, if it would work or whatnot. And my students, to be honest with you, The part that I love about being online right now is that they are learning so much about how to use technology and there are no boundaries. They are picking up things. We use Flipgrid and I love Flipgrid for math, you know, because yes, you might, you may have gotten the right answer, but when you listen to them speak their academic language or the academic vocabulary, you know, you, you realize, oh, I've got to work with you on that. That's not the subterrain. Mm -hmm. Like this is addition. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that part has been amazing to see them grow, you know, and I have had to grow. So I can say, share your screen. And that's how I do a lot of my teaching. When they're having a problem getting on a site, share your screen. We're going to allow a student to show us Mm -hmm. how to work it. And that has helped a lot. That is so true. I love how there are certainly positive things we can find about this and, and, what they're learning in technology is, is pretty amazing. I, I can see that with our own kids, especially my son in third grade, like what he can do now compared to what he could do at the beginning of the school year is, is pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah. So um, do you have some favorite topics or skills or, or units in math and then maybe some things that you don't love teaching in math? You know, to be honest, what I love I love teaching strategy. And and the reason why is because as I reflect over my own struggles with math, it was because I didn't understand the how. I couldn't make connections. 
the teacher said, memorize this. And that mm. is what I was left with. But what I have found to be really effective and Bridges, they are always pushing, the curriculum is always pushing strategy, strategy. Now, of course, we have students who just know things. You can't have them backpedal to learn strategy. Like they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Let them do it. But for those who struggle to be able to give them a roadmap, that's my favorite because you see that light bulb come on. I don't think there's anything better than that. I, I thought I loved teaching fractions until we went through our fraction unit. And then I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I love fractions. Why is this so hard? Yeah. You know, but um, <laughs> Bridges uses the egg carton method. I don't know if you all are familiar with that. I've seen that. Yeah. For equivalent fractions. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Did it not work very well? (laughs) But um, I was going to say that the egg carton strategy to me or the method, I feel like it's a good one. And if I were in the classroom, I know it would work that much better. But because we're Mm -hmm. online and because of all the outside influences where my students are, a lot of them, where a lot of them are, it's just difficult to teach. You know, I need your focus. I need your attention for at least two to three minutes at a time. And it's hard to, right. to get that in a lot of places. Some of my kids are in daycare and you've got little kids running around throwing stuff at them. It's just difficult. Or their internet is spotty. Yeah. Um, but the method itself, <laughs> for so many of my students, they picked up on it very quickly and it worked. But I think the big problem is just, you know, the way we are teaching right now. For sure. My least favorite topic, I can't think of a topic that is the least favorite, but I'm going to tell you that rounding, I need someone to give me the code to teaching <laughs> rounding um, because my kids, they come online and they're like, Dr. Noah, my stomach hurts, like oh. <laughs> straight out the gate. Rounding has not been our friend. It's a lot better this year mm-hmm. than it was last year, but even still, they are okay when they're sitting in front of me and we've done this like 10 times. Now we're on the 10th person going through it, but tomorrow it's like 50 first dates. I can't remember how to round at all. So if you have a secret, please do share. I don't know that I, I, go ahead, Ruth. Well, for me, being able to teach them where the number comes between, which I'm going to admit is a struggle. So in sixth grade, they've been taught rounding, you know, probably three, four years. And we're rounding decimals. And so the student has to find, round it to the nearest tenth. I created a number line in my classroom of just tenths. And they have to go find where it's between. And then knowing that one of those numbers is what it's going to round to. I think when we teach them underline the digit and look at this one and does it go up or does it go down? It's so much to remember. So number lines um, are what have helped me. And I don't know if you listened to the episode about the chicken crossing the road, (laughs) but I had a student who brought a poster in to teach rounding at the end of the school year to review for exams. And he turned his poster around and there was nothing written on it it was just a big chicken with feathers glued all (laughs) over it and he said when you round 
don't kill the chicken. He's crossing the road, and if he gets to the halfway point, you have to tell him to keep going. And if he's not at the halfway point, you have to tell him to turn around and go back. So we actually draw number lines that look like roads, and I just say things like, which road is he on? Has he reached the halfway point? Which way are you going to tell him to go? And a lot of kids have picked up on that and experienced success, even with coming in knowing this algorithm of underline this digit and draw this jumpy arrow to see if it's bigger than five. I don't know. So maybe try the chicken crossing the road. That's all I got. But I would agree rounding is a tough skill. I like that. I'm definitely going to try that. And I am a number line fan. I love number lines. You can put whatever you want on it. I absolutely my students, if you talk to them, they would roll their eyes and say, Dr. Newell and that doggone number line, <laughs> they can't stand number lines because I love them so much. And I have used that. And I would agree that they have the most success when they can see the numbers when it's when it's um, when I'm able to place it on the line for them or when they're able to place it on the line. So I'm definitely going to try this chicken, though. <laughs> I have a PowerPoint of it's Google Slides, and it's just pictures of chickens on the road. And all the numbers are decimals, but you could go and change them. My students did it virtually when I was home on quarantine. And they have to just pick the side of the road they would tell the chicken to go to. And sometimes they have to tell what numbers. Like, if I tell you that the chicken's on 37, you have to tell me he's between 30 and 40. So I'll send it to you. Maybe you can edit it and use it for your class. Awesome. Thank you. So... We kind of met you because of um, our Black Lives Matters. Let's take some time. And I'm just really interested if you will share how this, our country's renewed focus on race and racism has changed anything in your classroom or your school. Sure. Um, my school was created with so social justice in mind. That is really the focus. Equity and education <laughs> for all children with a, with a specific reach out to black and brown children because of our community and where we live. A lot of our children were underserved and that's just anywhere really in the mm -hmm. US, but in our area in particular. And so our founders who happened to be uh, two black women and um, a, a, a woman of color, another woman of color, that is why they found the school. So we are only in our second year However, this year has been different because of what's happening in the world. I would be, you know, I would be lying if I were to say, oh, no, we, we deal with this all the time just like this because it's not true. Our kids are seeing things now that they've never seen before. They have participated in marches. They wouldn't have done that last year. And so it has definitely had an impact on us when we started. Well, I should say when we ended the school year we knew that we were going to have to take a um, a more direct approach <clears throat> in dealing with social justice matters. And we knew that we better prepare ourselves when we came back to school because our kids were going to have questions. And so in June, we celebrated Juneteenth. Our children made this video where um, they discussed what Juneteenth is and what it means to them. And then we started from there. So my classroom 
has a social justice wall and we talk about important points in history for all people of color and um, how every person, every ethnic group or every nationality has represented um, or supported social change and social justice. Because I do have a predominantly black and brown class, but I have a student in my class who's white. So Mm -hmm. I would be a horrible teacher if if my student didn't see herself, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, that is one thing that we did, that I did in my classroom. Of course, they haven't set foot in my classroom, (laughs) but it is something that I have in my Google classroom as Mm -hmm. well. And I have a a lot of resources. We do read alouds every morning. They get online, they're supposed to be there by 7.50, but I have kids logging on as early as 7, 7.20. Wow. And so I go in and I pull a read aloud that is culturally based and I put it on. Yesterday we talked about, um, what did we talk about? Oh, I can't remember, just today. Frida, Frida, goodness, Frida, if I mess up her Frida name, Kahlo? I'm be a horrible person. Yes, yes. And we did a read aloud on her. And then we talked about, you know, when people are different from us, is it okay to say they're abnormal, you know? And and so we have those discussions and we needed to talk about where did that start? Why do we think that the way we are is the best way and anybody who is unlike us is wrong? Of course, my children of color, they can relate. They say, oh yeah, because someone told me because I was black, I couldn't do this or They understand that. But when it comes to someone having a thin leg, Mm -hmm. right, or maybe a unibrow, Mm -hmm. that is just as wrong. So we we deal with it all. And our students have, as I said before, they participated in local um, protests or rallies. And so we have those discussions. When we started our government unit this year, because I do teach uh, self-contained class, so I teach all subjects. When we started our government unit, I asked them, what are your guiding questions? We, we will talk about what the curriculum says, but what do you want mm. to talk about? What questions do you have? And it broke my heart. <clears throat> it broke my heart to hear my eight, nine and 10 year olds say, Dr. Newell, will they kill me next? Wow. Dr. Mm. Newell, what's going to happen? Why do people hate us? It broke my heart yeah. because I don't hate my babies. When I look at them, I see children, children who deserve to be loved, who deserve to have education, who deserve to get good jobs children who deserve to walk down the street with a hoodie on and not get Mm -hmm. shot children who deserve peace but the world does not see them that way and so we had to pause for that and discuss it and do you think i have answers to those questions i don't i'm a whole adult and i don't know Mm -hmm. and i pray to god god forbid that you're next but we're gonna do what we can to change that so i think our big focus now is to show our children what action looks like, you know, how to take action and how to stand for what is right and to stand for all people. That's our big push right now. So we're, we're just trying to do as much as we can, use our voices, participate where we can, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's yeah. good. I love it. I love, I love, I especially love the part about you asking them what questions they want to want to try to answer. That's, that's really powerful. Um, and then admitting that we don't have all the answers to their questions either, you know? Wow. Um, we sent you some questions ahead of time, but I had a friend, I was trying to brainstorm questions with, with another teacher friend. And so this is a question I didn't send you ahead of time. I hope that's okay. (laughs) Um, 
That's she okay. said mm-hmm. she wanted to know how how do you think 2020 has changed you as a teacher? Like all that has happened in this year. Mm, that's such a good question because 2020 has no chill, if you will. 2020 <laughs> has <laughs> 2020 has put everyone in five different headlocks and I'm going to tell you I've been one of those people. I am I am very much so more aware of myself as a person, as an educator, especially. Mm -hmm. And I have been in education for a long time, in K-12, just two years, but in education for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I've had to really figure out, you know, why are you grading this way? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why are you choosing to grade that assignment? Did you even go over that enough times to make sure that they had it before you slap the grade on it what are you doing you know um just throw that out altogether. that's a bad question that's a bad just get rid of it who needs to know that right now so it's really caused me to to consider all things when you're in the classroom you feel like you were here nothing kept you from learning Mm -hmm. you know i taught Mm -hmm. it very well if i might say so myself (laughs) And so you should have gotten it. We did it 13 times. I'm grading it. Well, now now you're looking at it and you're even trying to figure out, okay, I know it's in the curriculum, but do I need to spend this much time on this when I know that you're having trouble with that? You know, I just had to rethink my entire life. Mm -hmm. It's definitely changed me. It's it's made me focus more on my, um, I'm a big relationship person, okay? But I do have to know content and I have to be able to um, give that content to my students in a way that they can receive it. And if I have a student whose computer that they got from the school isn't working and they're on the iPhone, what can I do? Mm -hmm. I have to be able to do something. They need to be able to participate. So it has really caused me to look um, inward. And did you really need to give? I know the curriculum says they need 13 pages in this week, but do you really need to give it that way? Because everyone can't do Mm -hmm. that. It's really inequitable. So yeah, it's changed me. I mean, I could go on for days. (laughs) It has really caused me to, to just see everyone in a different light and to really hold myself under the microscope more. Awesome. Thank you. So it's no secret that when you hold yourself under the microscope and evaluate everything that you are doing, (laughs) You need self-care. How do you do that? So you're not completely consumed with what you're doing, what your kids are doing on the other side of the screen. You know, I, um, my favorite thing to do is take bubble baths. I know that sounds silly to some, but I love bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. And so I am a bubble bath-aholic, if you will. And another thing that I... I've kind of I haven't really done within the last few weeks, but it's very helpful for me. And that we have a bridge called the Carquinez Bridge that's really close to me. And um, if you go over to, if you go from one side to the other, it's about a four mile um, walk, hike, jog, whatever you want to call it. And so that is something that I absolutely enjoy. I just I haven't been able to get out and do that. Basketball is my life, um, so whenever I can. I can go and shoot hoops, especially at a park because no one's there. But it's getting cool here. Mm -hmm. I live near the water, so it's getting kind of cool. But my favorite thing to do here recently is to guard my sleep, which 
I haven't done that since we went on. Yeah, I guess since we kind of got locked down back in March, my sleep has been all over the place. And so one thing that I started doing was playing some scripture softly in the background as I sleep. And for real, as God is my witness, I am so well rested in the morning. And it doesn't matter if I get five hours or eight hours. I just feel like a million bucks. Um, Hmm. That really has helped me. Seriously. Seriously. And I've tried to love, love people harder, you know, better, more and give them spaces of grace, that helps me because then I'm not all stressed mm-hmm. out about the fact that you did or said whatever you did or said or didn't do. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying really hard to remember um, not to sweat the small stuff. You know what I mean? Just don't don't worry about it. It's not that big of mm-hmm. a deal, you know? So For those sure. are some things that I've done, yeah? That's great advice. Thank you. So who knows when this pandemic lockdown quarantine stuff is going to end, but you know, when it does, what's, what are you looking forward to the most? um, And particularly when it comes to your classroom and being back with your students? Well, you know, when I say this, I have teachers tell me all the time, I wouldn't say that, but I just want to hug my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, I want to touch their ponytails and their new haircuts and say, oh, look at your hair. You know, I want to I have one little kid in my class and one kid who was I taught second and third grade last year. I had a um, combo course. And so I have a new third grader this year. She's not in my class, but she's in third Mm -hmm. grade. She has these most squishy cheeks you ever want to see in your life. And I love to just pinch her cheeks. But I also have one of my boys in my fourth grade class. He knows when he sees me coming, you better put your hands over the sides of your face because I am coming for those (laughs) cheeks. I miss that. And it's really it's interesting to me because in my culture, um, we are very touchy. We hug each other. Our kids run up to us and will like knock you down. This is what we do. This is how we Mm -hmm. greet each other. We hug each other. So this is hard. And I know that it's hard for my kids because if I'm on campus and they come to pick up something or get their computer looked at before I can turn around, they're on my back. (laughs) It's hard. That's what forgetting everything else. That's what I would love. And then, as you saw, I have papers everywhere here, but I love to showcase um, their demonstrations of knowledge, if you will, in my classroom. So some people would say it's a fire hazard, but we have anchor charts everywhere, (laughs) you know, just their drawings, everything. And, and I miss being able to see their work. Yeah. Tell us what you're reading or what you're listening to that you feel like our listeners should listen to. What are you, I don't know. How are you growing professionally or where you, what are your resources? Hmm. Well, I do listen to podcasts. excuse me, often. One that I highly recommend is Leading Equity. Um, I think every educator should be focused on equity. Even if you don't feel like you have um, a diverse enough population, there's people are just different. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Every person is different. And so thinking about equity and having it at the forefront of your mind, that's what every person, especially every educator um, should should do think about equity so leading equity that's a great podcast um one book that i 
loved is Hacking School Discipline. I don't know if you've ever read it. Yeah, my, my school read that but last year. I loved it. And I, I think it's practical. Mm-hmm. I am a restorative justice person. We practice that at our school. And I believe that they have some very useful tips in that book. So I would recommend it. Also, another book that I read, and I think I mentioned this to you all in the mm-hmm. summer, it's The Education of Blacks in the South from 1860 to 1935 by James Anderson. I believe every educator should read that book. And the reason is because a lot of people are shocked by the things they see in education when it comes to um, Black children and just children of color in general. But there's a history, a long, long history, that if you don't know it and recognize it and understand it, you will find yourself repeating Mm -hmm. it. And so that's Mm -hmm. a good book. Excuse me. Another book that I just started is Becoming the Math Teacher You Wish You Had. Ideas and Strategies from Vibrant Classrooms by Tracy Johnston Zager. Mm -hmm. I literally just started this book, but already just opening it up and reading it. You know, a lot of times when you're in education, as I am new to K-12, I have different people who say, oh, you're doing too much or... That's too much. Why are you doing that? That's not necessary because they've been teaching in K-12 for a long time, but they're unhappy and they don't really change anything. And I don't know if their students are happy, but my students are happy Mm -hmm. and they're happy because they love the newness. They love the challenge. And I'm also learning that they love the fact that I love math. Mm -hmm. And as I told you, I had teachers who loved it. And when they loved it, I loved it. And I had teachers who probably I know they didn't love it and I don't think they understood it and I was just as confused. So I've, I've seen a couple of things from this text that have really just encouraged me to continue being me and continue the way I'm going. Well, we will, we will definitely link all of those things on our show notes, but you know, shout out to the last one that you're, you're reading right now, the Tracy Zager book. Like we both read it and, it like it's just it's just a feel good book, right? Like you read it and you're like, yes, yes, this is what it should look like. Um, and and she touches on that part about having t- what what happens when a teacher doesn't really understand what's going on and just tells a kid to like, oh, just learn it, just memorize it, you know. Um, right. Gosh, it, that is that is such. It's probably I think I can say it's my favorite math book that I've read ever. Um, so that, mm. great choice for sure. <laughs> well, um, this we I have just loved listening um, to what you have to share, all all parts of it. But I'm wondering, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wish we had asked you about? Um, I can't think of anything. I think that we've had a good conversation. I would just, I think it's really important. I will say this, and I don't know if I think I'll say this. I think it's really important for educators to unite and share best practices. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you didn't ask me about that, but that is one thing that I've noticed being in K-12. And maybe it's just in my local area. Um, Sometimes I see teachers feeling intimidated, feeling like, because you're doing that, now I look bad. Like, no, mm. you don't have to look bad. We can work together right. and help you get where you need to be. And you can help me in the areas I struggle. I have no problem asking for help. 
my academic admin, I talk to her literally every single day. I'm always trying to find a way, you know, to to do better. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage educators, don't be intimidated by someone else. Like link, join up and and then we can see change, I feel, in 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 what we're doing in K twelve. Hmm. That's great advice. Yeah. And sometimes that person that you link with could be in your building. And then sometimes that person can be someone virtual that you met on Twitter or, you know, um, (laughs) yeah, for sure. There's no, there's no point in like keeping anything that we do secret. We all need each other to get better. That's so true. So we usually end with some takeaways. So um, everybody be thinking. And if you'd like to share a takeaway from our conversation, this is a good time to do that. Anybody ready to go already? I've got one. Okay. I think it's really interesting that um, your school chose to really alter their schedule to make the best use of, you know, maybe your time, the student's time, whoever. But they really, they didn't, they didn't feel like they had to stay locked into their normal schedule that they've always done. You know, some of the schools here have, you know, I guess in an effort to try to keep some of that normal schedule, that normal feel, they really felt like they had to stick to certain times. I know um, where I work at at the University of Lynchburg, it has been, um, they're not, they're not completely virtual. So, you know, there are some classes that meet in person, depend on the size of the, the rooms and everything, but it's, it's been almost like an, an awkward thing that has held some, not progress, but just held, you know, just caused issues because they felt like they had to stick to a normal schedule um, or what the schedule looked like before all this. And I like the idea of really shifting and, you know, change that schedule to meet the needs of, of the students and not feel like you have, oh, no, like it's 1030, 1030 is when we go outside or no, we got to stop at 11 because 11 is when we do this and, you know, really not letting that that traditional schedule hold you back from from offering the students what they need. I think that's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I think I have one, and I don't want Ruth to steal mine, so I'm going to go. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's not mine. I was just thinking the same thing. I mine is is your part that you repeated several times about how when we love the content that that is yeah. clear mm-hmm. to the students. They they pick up on that. And then I think I heard you say that not only does that help them love the subject too, but it also causes them to, to learn more, uh, you know, from your experience, that seems like what you experienced. So, um, you know, just a reminder to, to, to find what you love about it. You know, even if, you know, as elementary teachers, we have to teach everything. And even if you are in your back of your mind, like not a, you know, complete fan of whatever sub social studies or whatever, you know, if you can muster up some parts that you do love, that's going to translate to the students. So I think, thanks for that reminder for me. Yeah. For me, it was the podcast that you said about equity, because I personally am not in an environment where I have a diverse group of kids. Um, but I do have different kids and unique kids and just focusing on equity really can help you in more than just different races per se but you use the example of a kid with a small leg or a unibrow it's like yeah 
because we have to learn to appreciate differences of all kinds. Mm-hmm. That's very good. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. I didn't realize that so much until this year, honestly. So when I really discovered the importance of of teaching my students about equity and and the importance of checking our language. As we read that story, um, I am deaf and I dance. Some of my students would refer to uh, the character in the story and, and make statements about her normal friends and um, the struggle of being deaf and all of these different terms that made, hmm, I guess in my view, it seemed like there was there was a thought that the girl was abnormal and we're normal because we're hearing and having relationships with people in within the deaf community i didn't want my students to feel like that was appropriate language or even an appropriate thought towards someone who's different than you are and so that has become one of my focal points with my students to really understand equity. It's not just about being black or white or brown mm-hmm. or, you know, it's not, it, it, it goes further than that. And so I have to make sure even that I model that with them in my speech and that when we're talking and reading books or watching movies or whatever, that they understand that when we use language that separates people based on what we consider to be normal, if it's like us or different from us, that is just as bad as the experiences that they've had when they had to deal with racism right? or with what our entire world has dealt with this year. So my takeaway that I wanted to share was about the chicken and the road (laughs) and the number line. I am so geeked to try this because... I love number lines, first of all, and I think that I haven't used it as much as I could. I haven't been as intentional because my kids always roll their eyes when I'm like, number line, you know, they're like, oh gosh, (laughs) but I'm going to try it. And I definitely can't wait to see the chicken in the road. Um, I told my students something when I was in basic training, I absolutely hated doing pushups. And so every morning when I went out and, you know, they're yelling at us, get your face in the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say, I love push-ups. I love push-ups. And so I encourage my kids, when you see me for math, you need to start with, I love number lines. Oh, yay. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I think we might need to call this um, episode either I love push-ups or I love number lines. <laughs> I love yeah. I love push-ups. I love and, number lines. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So we have just thoroughly enjoyed our time with you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. I think I was thinking about like how how wise you are and what you you know what you had to share, I think is just applicable to all kinds of teachers everywhere. Um, I think your experience before your time in the k twelve classroom has certainly just shaped uh, what you bring to the to the your to your students, and they are just so lucky to have you. I can tell for sure. So thank you so much for for sharing with us today. Thank you guys for having me. And I really do appreciate your podcast. Honest, everyone who knows me know that I talk about this podcast all the time. (laughs) I started listening before I even got into K-12 to help my nephew with his math. So thank you so much. You are welcome. And we, I don't know if you like to run, Michelle, but we usually end by saying that we'll see you on a run. Are you a runner at all? 
I do love running. Good. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, um, Ruth, I will see you sometime on a run soon. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye.